Welcome to the final installment of our series, Moving Forward by Looking Back. My name is Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about the difference between a need and a want. And maybe that's a conversation you had in first or second grade with your teacher, a need versus a want. But even as an adult, sometimes we get caught in that trap of thinking, well, we need that brand new car or we need that promotion. And sometimes that need versus want affects our decision making and sometimes we don't make the best decisions because of it. And so today that's what we're going to talk about and I hope you stick around. We're going to start a little differently um, than we normally do because hey, every once in a while it's okay to change it up. And what we're going to do different is I'm going to actually begin, uh, if you've been here for a while, I usually do not begin with um, reading anything from the Bible. Uh, and that's just um, kind of how I think is most accessible and understandable to people. Um, but today I'm going to begin by reading uh, what for some of you will be an exceptionally familiar uh, chapter, a whole chapter out of the Bible. Um, and honestly, even if you're not a Christian or you didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you've had uh, any reasonable degree of exposure to Christianity, there is a chance, um, or actually if you've ever been to a funeral, um, there's a reasonable chance that you have probably heard this verse because, or this, this chapter, because it is one of the most quoted, uh, probably top three, I would almost imagine, uh, bits of the Bible. Um, and it's a 3,000, 3,000 year old song. Um, it's called a psalm, and it, specifically it's Psalm chapter 23. Um, and Psalm chapter 23 is written by a guy named David, and uh, David was many things throughout his life. Uh, he had a very, very dynamic life for more than one reason. Um, for a time, he was a shepherd. Uh, for a time of his life, he was an outcast, living kind of in exile. For a time, he was, and for the rest of his life, honestly, he, in many ways, he was a murderer, and he was also a king. And so that makes for a pretty dynamic life. And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to read Psalm uh, chapter 23, and uh, my hope is that as I read it, um, that you would kind of let go of kind of everything that's been going on in your life this last week, and maybe everything that you're looking at in the coming week, or kind of distractions in your life, as best as, as best as you can, it's difficult to do, and uh, they're going to make the screens go black, and uh, nothing's going to be up there, and because I just want you to listen, I just want you to hear and as I read, I want you to do something that maybe you haven't done so much, or at least this exercise you haven't done so much since grade school, but I just want you to imagine. So as I read this, begin to picture it in your mind. If you need to close your eyes, that's, that's cool too, um, whatever, whatever you need, because this is really important for where we're going to go today, and I think, um, I think it's uh, just a, a really descript bit of, uh, of the Bible uh, that's worth just imagining what it looks like in our mind. So I'll read slowly, and you just kind of piece that together as I go along. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How's that sound to you? When you imagine that in your mind, what, what do you imagine? Is it, is it good things? Is it nice? I mean, at the very least, maybe you're not much of a Bible reader, maybe you're not much of a Christian, that's okay, we're glad that you're here, but, but what do you even imagine? It's just, it's a nice picture. Maybe you find it to be comforting, assuring. I'm just kind of curious, and I mean this in a good-natured way, but as you imagine those green pastures, were your kids there? No. <laughs> Got one no? No, probably not. As you imagined the still waters, were your children jumping in them up and down as if they were there, because that's exactly what they would have been doing. Even if you got older kids, when they were younger, they would have seen that puddle and they would have been on it. There wouldn't be still waters. Anybody, as you walked through or imagined those pastures, anybody see a cow pie? Step in one? Any bugs? You're in a pasture after all. Anybody have any bugs, mosquitoes in that green pasture besides still waters? Anybody have their work phone with them? Coworker called halfway through the pasture? No. Because that wouldn't be very soul-restoring, would it? You wouldn't describe that as my cup overflowing. That would be annoying and inconvenient. And a really far cry from what I just read to you, at least how... I would imagine it, and I'm, how I'm guessing you too would imagine something like that. But I'm just kind of curious, like, why? Why is your version so, so nice and so peaceful? Is your version, would you describe your version as realistic or idealistic? And if it's idealistic, why did you go to the idealistic picture? Why did you, as you formed that in your mind, find a deep sense of comfort? Why did you find it to be so picturesque in how it looked and how maybe even you felt as you thought about it? Why is that? Why is that? I think it's because we want it to. Because there's a deep desire in each and every one of us where we want that best, greatest, most picturesque thing. I want it. I want it. And, and it's kind of a reflection of our life in many ways. That our expectations are always set maybe a bit higher, a bit grander than the reality of our lives. That maybe in the imagery of Psalms 23, we thought to ourselves, wow, that's, that's pretty, I feel pretty content in that space. Like if I were actually there, I would feel pretty good. Maybe like a little slice of heaven. Nobody put blood-sucking mosquitoes into their imagery, did they? Probably not. Yet, in realistic terms, 
is that really reality if you went to a pastor? I mean, we're in Iowa. We know pastors. Maybe you've even walked through one. It's hard to live in Iowa for your whole life and not at least have an opportunity to walk through a pastor. Like, it's not that peaceful. You wouldn't go out of your way to just lay down in a pasture, right? I mean, you could get ticks and bugs and all sorts of stuff. Yet we find comfort in that passage. Maybe, maybe if you've ever struggled with a health issue or one of your loved ones had ever struggled with a health, health issue or you've ever been in a hospital setting and there's a pastor, they came in, they may have read Psalms 23. I know about six years ago when my grandfather uh, was a few weeks away from, uh, from his death, uh, the pastor, I was there, the pastor came in. This was the last time I would, I would see my grandfather alive and he was having uh, mild seizures, and so he's very disorientated, very out of it. It was just a very difficult time, as, as maybe some of you have experienced if you have a loved one that's suffering. And the pastor comes in, and me, at this time in my life, um, I was agnostic, and so uh, and agnosticism essentially is that you believe in God. It's just maybe not a Christian God or a specific God, just, just some greater being in the universe. And so the pastor comes in, and at first I'm like, oh, there's the pastor. Wonder what he's going to say, kind of eye roll kind of thing. And then he opened up and he read Psalms 23. And I tell you, for whatever reason, even though I didn't believe per se in the Christian God, I found that verse, that chapter, to be exceptionally comforting. I wanted those green pastures. I wanted to experience what David described in Psalms 23. I wanted that. I wanted this version. Here's the best picture at least I could find. I mean, it's so picturesque. There's nothing to disturb you. This is what I want. This is what I want when, my, when, when things aren't going well and when I'm struggling. And honestly, this is kind of like what I want regardless of the time of day. This is what I want my life to be. Just literally the whole thing of it would be fine if this is what it was. If you were here like a few months ago, Stephanie preached about greener grass. This is a perfect example of greener grass. We look at that and say, yeah, that sounds nice. I'd like to build a house right here, a little dock here, and I put my boat out there, maybe a pontoon boat, maybe a speedboat, maybe both, whatever. I'd be happy with that because I want that. And I think... Psalms 23 plays on something that we should probably be a little bit aware of, is that strong, strong desire to want. And the assumption that if I get what I want, I will be happy. If I get what I want, whatever that want may be, it will lead me to happiness. That's why we find comfort. That's why when you imagine it, you imagine it perfectly. You don't imagine it realistically. Imagine it in a perfect picture. And so we go around our lives and we want bigger things, don't we? I mean, what was the last thing that you had something of, but then you just kind of wanted the bigger, better version of it? You know what I'm talking about? You know, I can tell you this is one of those things for me. I mean, it's like the first one worked fine, but the second one is, I don't know, better? And I want it. Or that car. I had one, but I just want a bigger one. Or that job, or that promotion, or whatever it is. And if I get it, I will be happier. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. Isn't that somewhat of the degree of what we tell ourselves? If I got it, things would be better. Happiness 
would follow. One of the most painful things to watch as a pastor is in your relationships. As I watch people's relationships, this happens all the time. I want to fix my spouse. I want to fix my husband. I want to fix my wife. I want to fix my girlfriend or my boyfriend. And if you could just fine-tune them enough, if you could just take that mallet in there and a little hammer in here, a little hammer in there, you know, it would be better. And then I would be happy. And it's so difficult to watch because part of the problem is you've essentially excluded yourself out of it. That maybe you have anything to do with it. And you're so consumed that if you could just fix them, then you would be happy. Or if you could just want a better husband, just in general. How many struggling marriages have fallen apart because someone just wanted a better version of what they had? And then they thought they would be happy. But then you really can't escape the reality, and I don't mean this in a harsh way, because I understand everybody's story is different, and I understand there's different roles and things happening in relationships, but the divorce statistic just kind of goes up in marriages. Like, it's like two-thirds chance of divorce the second time, and then three-fourths the third time, and so on. But yet we've told ourselves, I want it because then I will be happy. And I'm not saying all aspirations are bad. I'm not saying leave this, this room this morning and, oh, I can't aspire to be more. I can't want more. I can't desire to be better. That kind of thing. No, I'm just asking, when does it end? When is it enough? And I think in some ways, if you understand the backstory of Psalm 23, there's a part of David when he's writing this that wants to tell you this equation doesn't work. Because my guess is at this point, he's king. He's king over Israel. And the reason I think that is because, well, shepherds don't write, let alone shepherd boys don't write. They don't have parchment out there sitting in the fields and just writing along. It's very, very expensive, and most people, most likely, David did not know how to read or write. And so it wasn't until he became king that now he's looking back at his life and thinking to himself, I thought this was how the world works, but I've been disappointed. David's looking at this perfectly green pasture, this beautiful image, and saying it's not realistic. And now decades later, it has not brought me happiness. David would say, I'm king. Y'all, we don't have kings, but back then, kings meant you would reach the greener pasture. He could get servants to make greener pastures if he wanted to. He had it all. And yet he writes Psalm 23, not as a king, but as a shepherd in the fields. Now, the last few weeks, if you've been here following along in this series, we spent some time talking about like archaeological things in biblical history. Today, we're going to look at geography, because I'm sure that's probably the subject you avoided taking. If you had to take it in high school, it was probably one of the more boring classes you've ever taken, but it makes a big difference. Not so much today, but in human history, it's made a big difference, and it matters in this story, because I want you to see David's pastures. I want you to see the pastures that David talks about in Psalms 23, and here's a picture of them. This is David's pasture. Here's David's green grass. Don't you, don't you see the greenness? Isn't it obvious? I'm just kind of curious. Did anyone in their version of a pasture think of this? 
Because this is what David thought of. David said, I wrote the psalm, and when I thought greener pastures, this is what I saw. And you want to know that's interesting? This is um, kind of what's considered the wilderness of Israel. It's kind of on the far east side of the country, the modern-day country, okay? This is in the green season. This is what our uh, instructor for our class said. This is really some of the luscious grass that he's seen in a long time. And he's been there like over a decade. And right here, if you look, here's the sheep grazing. It's really hard to see against the mountain. You can see it better up there. Why? Because there are still modern-day shepherds that do exactly what David did then. The still waters that David talks about, really what he's saying is no waters. Because you can go on Google Maps when you get home, and you'll be hard-pressed on this side of, of the nation of Israel to find water right paths. God's going to lead me down right paths. You know that, that whole verse? It's really difficult to find your way around because if we go to the next picture, okay, it's really easy to get lost because kind of they all look the same. And when you're walking amongst these hills, it's very difficult to find your way because it's just like walking through a desert of sand dunes. It's like every dune just kind of looks the same. And so it's so easy to get lost. And then you remember that very famous verse, at least it's like my favorite verse, is though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And guess what? The valley of death is so real. How do you die? What is the most common way people die in the desert of Israel? Drowning. Drowning. You can go look it up. Last year in Jordan, Along the same river valley, uh, I think it was like 12 kids, students lost their lives because the whole bus got washed away in a flash flood. And the year before that, or actually April of last year, there was like five hikers who lost their lives to a flash flood. Because when it rains up in the more lush part of Israel, all the waters come flowing down. And so David knew that as you walked through the valley... Just over that ridge was literally the shadow of death that in a moment's notice could wash away your entire flock, your entire household's livelihood, could wash away your life. That's David's desert. The verse that has brought maybe you and I so much comfort over the years, Psalms 23, describes a place where most likely, I'm guessing, you and I wouldn't like last a week. And yet David, David looks at that and says, green pastures, still waters where I felt fed, my cup overfloweth, I felt safe and comfortable here. Coming from the perspective of a king who had it all. How? How is that contrast even there? I mean, let's go to the next slide. Let's, let's put these next to each other, okay? How do we get from here to here? Our mind says this, but this is what David's talking about. Well, because we do it all the time. You do it all the time, right? You go through your life, and, and as, as long as, t- as, as time goes by, you begin to look at the things that have been kind of the same in your life for a long time, like this. And then you look over at your neighbor's house, and they have this. And you're like, I want that. 
We look at it when it comes to our boss. We had the same boss for years, the same problems for years, and we look over at our, our neighbor's boss, and we're like, that's what I want. And we look at our house, and then we look at their house. And we look at our health, and we look at their health, and their, their body, and their look, and their appearance. We look at our computer, and our phone, and what we have, and then we look at what we want. I mean, just think back for a second. Think back five years ago, maybe ten years ago. What did you, what was something, just maybe like one or two things that you wanted back then? Like, I really wanted this. Maybe it's something that you ended up getting. Are you happy now? Are you content now that you have that thing that you wanted 10 years ago? Or has that thing that you wanted 10 years ago began to look like this, and now you've done this? Or maybe you've taken some money that you put into this and now put it into this, and it's just this vicious cycle of wanting and more and needing and bigger and better and never-ending. When have you stopped and said every morning you woke up and just said, you know what, I'm, I'm grateful. You woke up every morning and just said, I'm content. Or when you wake up in the morning, is there like this angst that says, oh, well, what if I had that. I want that. I need that. For me, it was a, it, 10 years ago, it was like a big, I want a big job with a big paycheck, and I got it. And I thought, now I've arrived, and I felt inside more like this. I certainly didn't feel restored. I felt restless. See, the thing about want that you and I have to realize is want is like a hunger. Want is like a hunger. It's an unquenchable, unfillable, unsatiable hunger. And just like most hungers, the more you feed your hunger, the greater the hunger grows. Hunger is a never-ending battle. And David would say, I had plenty to eat. In fact, I had everything. I had running water. I had direct TV. I had like a whole servant, like and people and many wives and all this stuff. And it wasn't enough. In fact, David made more poor decisions as a king who had everything than as a shepherd who had very little. David was most known for a battle as a shepherd boy with a guy named Goliath maybe than anything else. Not as a king who struggled to find God's will back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. David's trying to, I think, in a way, get the point across that he as a king finally figured out that want is like a hunger that he could never feed. And I just want to ask you, do you ever get tired of wanting? Like, just a little excited that at least part of you just... Deep down, it's like, ugh, it's never-ending. It's like a mountain that as, as I climb and I climb and I climb, I never am going to get there. And if I really stop and think about it, where is there? Because there has changed. There keeps getting farther and farther away and the harder and harder that I work. And David came to terms, I think, with the fact that he would never get full. David came to terms with the fact that he had it all, but he wasn't full. And then as he looked back, he said, you know when I was full? When I was in that desert. When I was in that desert. 
Because David didn't write, because I had a big castle with big walls, I felt safe. I felt no fear. David didn't write, because I had servants, my cup was overflowing. He could have, but that's not what he wrote. He went back to as a shepherd boy in what we would call a barren desert that none of us would pay money to go spend or even for free spend like a week, two weeks, three weeks there. It would be inhospitable. Some shepherds would go out for month plus at a time. That would just like be beyond our imagination as Americans. But David said, I found peace there. I found life in a place that was so desolate. How? How did David find what so many of us seek and try to achieve and get and buy? How did David find that with so little? Now, this is the part that I think we tend to get a little defensive about, that we tend to want to excuse our way out of, but it's in the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. David, why, why do you not want, even though you're in a desert? Because the Lord is my shepherd. David said, over the decades, the years of my life that I have lived, I look back on where I started, and I said, that is where I didn't want for anything. Not as a king, but as a shepherd. When the Lord was my shepherd, because there have been seasons, if we went through the story of David, and maybe you're familiar with it, if you went through the life of David, you said, there are some definite moments where the Lord was not his shepherd. The Lord whom he learned to trust for everything. The Lord whom, as Christians, we would say, so loved the world, so loved you, that he sent his only son not to condemn it, but to save it. That kind of a father, that kind of a Lord. So, for you, in your wants and your needs, I just want you to think about Maybe, hopefully, for the rest of today, maybe if I could get you to do it for the rest of the week. Who or what is your shepherd? Who is your want? What is your want? What is the next thing you want to buy? What is the next thing you desire? What do you feel like you want? Is it companionship? And you haven't found it yet? Is it wealth, and you haven't gotten it yet? What, what commands your priorities? What commands your time? What commands your money? Not because you have to. Because listen, you can raise kids and be a decent parent and invest in them, but every time you kind of shell out a few dollars for your kids, you're like, oh, I don't really prefer it. Because it's a want. You don't want to spend it. As you look back, what things have guided, what shepherds have guided your life and your decisions? What has guided you to the place where you are now? 
And my friends, how you answer that question, I promise you, the answer to that question will be a direct connection to the amount of peace you feel in your life. And where and how and that roller coaster that is that thing that you desire will dictate the peace in your life. And David said, you know what? I just found the greatest peace in my Father in heaven. My Father, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Not the pastures we picture in our mind, but the pastures that David lived in every day. Because God gave him everything he needed. The little green tufts of grass that shepherds 3,000 years later still feed their flocks. See, David's perspective had changed. And he said, a green pasture isn't this perfect picturesque. It's more real. It's more realistic to, let's be honest, how life actually goes with mosquitoes and cow pies and ticks and everything we wish didn't exist. Those kinds of pastures. But David said, I found in that what I needed and what I sought most. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Safe, comforting, nourishing. He leads me through right paths so I don't get lost in the, in the rhythm of life as things, through, as I go through my life, just kind of look the same and I'm doing the same over and over and over again. It's so easy just to click it into neutral because, well, you did it before, you can do it again, and it's, you know, I'm not going to change anything. We'll just approach the problem the same way, this the same way, and whatever. And in the midst of that, David said, my shepherd kept me on the right path the whole time. David said, it wasn't my crown, and it wasn't my military that kept me safe and on the right path. It was God. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Just imagine that. No, fright, no fear. I mean, we go out and buy things. We go out and buy weapons and security systems and all that kind of thing, because then we're not going to be afraid. Listen, that doesn't make the fear go away. That just masks the fear. The fear has never gone anywhere. It's just giving you a bit of sense of security, perhaps maybe more than what you actually should have. I'm talking about, David's talking about, fear that goes away. Fear that is no more. That no amount of things that you could buy could take away. And how do you experience that, David? For you, God, are with me. Not apart from me, but with me. God, Father in heaven, are with me. Creator of the universe is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. Do I need much more? And I'll be honest with you, I think even though Agnostic Taylor heard these words, there was a part of God that was just trying to get a little bit after my heart. And that God just wanted to kind of tap on my heart and let, let me know that, that he didn't want something from me. He just wanted to be with me. And my issue was whether or not I wanted to be with him as well. It wasn't a God problem. It was a Taylor problem. 
but that if I so choose to be with him, I could walk through that desert, through the realities of life, and put my trust in him and be okay. So who or what is your shepherd? Who, what is your shepherd? And have those things that have been your shepherd in the past, have they gotten you through the challenges? Or have they just enabled you to do more wanting? Have they just empowered you with more spending potential? Have they just empowered you with more confidence because of who hangs on your arm or who doesn't? Have they just enabled you or have they actually quenched the hunger that you feel? And if you're wondering about this, I just encourage you, if you want to talk to someone about it, maybe not me, maybe, maybe find someone who has gone through life for a few decades, a few years under their belt, and you ask them. Because my guess is those who go through life eventually come to a point and realize that there are very, very few things that matter. And one of them just happens to be the shepherd whom they're following. And I think that's what David found as he neared the end of his life, as he looked back to move forward and realized that maybe he had put his eyes and his heart and everything that he had in the wrong thing, and they weren't going to get him through. And all he was stuck in was this cycle of hunger and filling and hunger and filling and it never being quite enough. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take communion. Um, And Christians, uh, you... And some of you, I realize you may not believe this, but as Christians, we believe that God came to earth to be with us. And that's the man we call Jesus. To be what's called the good shepherd. To be God in a body for us to look to, to learn from, to follow, and to be saved through. And so the band's going to come up here, and we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to take communion. And communion is a time to remember. And during this time to remember, we remember a lot of things. And one of them is the God that, that is the same God who David remembered at this point in his life. The God who at the end of the day would do whatever it took, even if it may, meant coming to earth himself, for us to have a reference, a shepherd, to look for. Not because he wanted us to feel bad or to be hurt, but to feel loved and to know that he loves us. And the whole thing with the cross was to die for our sins. If you grew up in church, that was kind of something that just kind of got reiterated into our, my mind and my heart over and over, die for our sins. But the part that, I, that was always just a little bit too far away from me was the why. And if you look at John 3.16, the next verse, John 3.17 says, not to condemn the world, because I felt, I felt kind of condemned. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Why? Going back to John 3.16, because he loved it. And he loved us. And we were worthy of his sacrifice. And he would like to be, if you want him to be, your good shepherd. 
so that as David, you could walk through green pastures even in the realities of life. And your cup could overflow even in the realities of life. And that is, when we take communion together, that is a small part of what we remember. So what or who shepherds your life, directs your decisions, prioritizes your time and your money? Has that shepherd brought you joy and contentment and peace in reality? See, David's suggestion to us is that until we find that God, our Heavenly Father, is the best shepherd, we will always be in a constant battle with the wants and the desires of our heart. But with our Heavenly Father, that is when we'll find peace. And that is my hope and encouragement to you this week. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope to see you next time for our new series, Uncomfortable.